True North Nerd 100th Episode Spectacular. And now your hosts, the True North Nerds. Welcome to part two of episode 100 of True North Nerds. No, no, no. Say it right. Say it right. Part two. Part two. Part two. What? There you go. That's better. So it was so long of an, of an episode that we had to split it up into two different segments so people would, you know, listen to them both. I don't know. The episode's so nice, we had to do it twice. There you go. <laughs> so technically, this is episode 101. No, 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 no. episode 102, because I'm going to screw with the chronology. Is 100.1 electric boogaloo. <laughs> Does that have the same ring to it? Yep. Joining us is uh, Ryan. Director's cut. Hi, Ryan. <laughs> yes, it's Ryan. I'm here still interrupting. And, and Kevin. Hello, I'm still here. And Jen. I'm always here. I live yeah. here. <laughs> and Snowhawk Cosplay. Hello, I went home, made a couple sandwiches, grabbed a beer, came back. <laughs> Where's my sandwich? Well, I don't know. You didn't want to come with me. Oh, okay, fine. I asked. I said, hey, you want to go for Subway? And you went, no. I had Subway for lunch. Oh, yeah, I, see, I was going to ask you what kind of sandwich. Meatball sandwich. Mm. I am a fan of a good meatball sub. <laughs> oh, Firehouse meatball sub? Welcome to the Meatball Sub Review Podcast. (laughs) Sweet and spicy meatball sub from Firehouse. I rather that's how Brent likes his balls. Meatballs, uh, sandwiches. Sweet and salty. (laughs) Sweet and salty. You said spicy. What are you talking about, Jen? Spicy. Uh, Maybe we should just move on. Salty balls. (laughs) Sweaty balls. Salty balls. We're off the rails already. Put them in your mouth and suck them. <laughs> wow. So this is the not ah, safe Park. episode. <laughs> in this episode, we're, well, this part of the episode, we're going to have a couple more interviews as well as sort of go over kind of our favorite things that happened in nerddom between 2017 and 2020, because uh, that's how long the show's been uh, going on for. 
So, uh, but before we do that, uh, let's start off with our first uh, interview guest for this episode. He is a longtime friend of the show. He is the Podfather, Mr. Nate Milton. Woo! Well, ladies and gentlemen, it wouldn't be a celebration of our podcast without certain people being involved. And one of those people we had to get on uh, via Skype due to closed borders and COVID and everything else. But he is with us via audio, Mr. Nate Milton. What is going on, Brother Brent? Uh, This is a joyous uh, occasion, a joyous week for many reasons. But uh, above all else, above anything else going on in the world, uh, it is your 100th episode. So, you know, who else better than one of the former hosts of Keep It 100, the short-lived <laughs> Keep It 100, to uh, come on and, and wish you guys well? Well, thanks very much for joining us, Nate. Uh, I guess we'll get a little bit of the elephant in the room out of the way. Uh, we jokingly said when I, I messaged you that part of this episode might be about talking about how we smuggle you and your family across the border, uh, depending <laughs> on how the election went. But that doesn't look like necessarily going to be the case. Um, from a personal interest standpoint, how are things in your neck of the woods right now? Is it sort of a celebratory mood or kind of a waiting to see where the next shoe drops? A little bit of both. You know, as a... Uh, as, uh... Archer would say, or Bugs, I guess Archer took it from Bugs Bunny, you know, a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Uh, because, yes, there is great enthusiasm and relief. Like, you, we saw pictures of people in the street all over the country just celebrating. Like, there's been this weight lifted off a lot of people's shoulders over the last four years. And so, yeah, in Virginia, obviously, you know, we're an interesting state. I, I always tell people Virginia is like a microcosm of America where we're Southern, but we're not quote unquote too Southern. You know, we've got a lot of urban and suburban areas, uh, a lot of colleges, a lot of military bases in the area. We've got a lot of city and, and tech, and, and but we're also rural and there's a lot of agriculture uh, and racially, you know, white, black, Hispanic, you know, uh, Asian. Like, so the Virginia is this weird and I don't use the term melting pot because I don't believe in it. I don't believe in the theory that America is a melting pot. America is a mosaic. And I feel like uh, Virginia is a nice representative sample of the mosaic that's America. So, yeah, a lot of people are happy. A lot of people are excited. I uh, know a lot of people watched Hamilton <laughs> over <laughs> the past week, just, you know, raising a glass to freedom. Uh, but I also think that there is trepidation, not only because, you know, Trump, still will have a little bit more time left in office, but also because just because Joe Biden won, Brent, that doesn't mean that everything automatically f- fixes on in January. You know, we're going to still be dealing with COVID. We're going to still be dealing with uh, uh, a bad economy. We're going to still be dealing with the lo- high unemployment rate. So there's a lot of uh, all the racial strife kind of in the mm-hmm. country. So there's a lot of stuff that still will need to get fixed. But the good, the good thing, the great thing for America is at least now we've got a steady hand at the wheel, somebody that can kind of bring the temperature down in the room and, and, and lead us forward. Yeah, I've been terming it as, like, I feel bad for for not only Biden, but, like, the next couple of presidents, really, are going to be, Republican or Democrat, 
are going to be cleaning up the mess that mm. the current president has left for them. Well, it, it comes down to a couple things. You know, number one, for the Democrats, like, yes, this is great, but also what do you do now? You know, what, what do you do now that you're going to be in power? Are you going to continue politics as usual, or are you going to strike a balance between striving for more progressive ideals, but also, you know, reaching out? Because there were a lot of disaffected voters out there who voted for Trump who are not racist, who are not sexist, who are not homophobic, right? They just had a difference of opinion. And I do feel like, you know, you won't be able to bring all of those people over. You might not even be able to bring half of those people over, but even if you can bring uh, a bit of that number, you know, 25, 30%, 40% of those folks who are Americans that believe in the country and believe in democracy and believe in freedom, then we can work towards getting better. The question for the Republicans, though, is was Trump the aberration or was Trump the blueprint going forward? You know, our, our, was this just, you know, like, hey, we, we had a weird drunk thing. And, you know, you, you know it, was, it was college, baby. Everybody was experimenting. You know, we just, we just wanted to see what it was like sleeping with this orange man for a while. But now we've grown up. We're, we're wiser. The youthful indiscretions are in the past, Brent Chittenden. Uh, so that, that's the question for the Republicans. Like, will, because I, I do think Democrats need to take a couple steps in terms of extending that olive branch, but the Republicans have a, you know, at least four or five steps in terms of repudiating everything that, that was wrapped up with Donald Trump and, and Trumpism. Uh, so it's going to be a very interesting next four years. I think, it, you know, the contention and the strife will still be there. Uh, but my hope is that it lessens. We've got somebody, you know, in office that believes in science, believes in climate change, change believes in, you know, racial equity. Uh, and so I'm hoping that you know, we can just get to a baseline, Brent. Like, we don't have to agree on everything. You know, we can disagree on infrastructure or military spending or how the police budget works. But we can't disagree on whether black lives matter or not, right? Like, that's mm. a fundamental truth that needs to be accepted. You know, like Thomas Jefferson, we hold these truths to be self-evident. There are certain things that are non-negotiable, like uh you know, believing in science when it comes to COVID or the environment or Black Lives Mattering. You know, there, there are certain things that are off the table in terms of we can debate on, on them or not. And then everything else after that, you know, we can have disagreements and discussions. But I feel like the country's got to get to a baseline of decency and respect and empathy for one another. And that was not going to be possible with Donald Trump in office. Yeah, I completely agree with that. From Like, I'm not the, the biggest political follower, but... If uh, the the last couple of years we we in Canada have taken a distinct look at our friends down south <laughs> because like it, we would like to say here that oh it's it's an American thing and like eh, I think a lot of the stuff that you guys are dealing with we we are on the edge of mm. having to do deal with ourselves you, you know like it's uh, with our political leaders and everything it's. We're not yeah. too far off. It's just whether we choose to go that way or not is the question mark right now. Well, the thing is, Trump is not the, the, the source of these problems, right? Trump is not the source and the root of racism or homophobia mm. or sexism or xenophobia, right? Trump is the symptom, and he's a symptom and a symbol. And I feel like, you know, whether you're talking about Vladimir Putin or Boris Johnson or maybe some people up in your neck of the woods, Brent, like there are people that do think and feel and believe in the things that Donald Trump represents, but it's up to the rest of us. Cause I truly do believe and, and we saw it in the, in the election where Joe Biden had over 5 million more votes than Donald Trump. 
like the majority of us, whether we agree or disagree on political issues, we all want the same things. We all want clean air. We all want safe neighborhoods. We all want good schools. We all want good jobs. We all want a better future for our kids and our family and our loved ones. So it's like if we can agree on the basics, then everything else we can figure out along the way. But right now, the problem has been we got a guy in office that hadn't believed in the basics. And like you said, unfortunately, he's not alone in terms of people around the world who would try to kind of divide countries and, and stoke up feelings of anger and resentment. Mm. So switching gears a little bit into something a little bit more cheerful. <laughs> um, <laughs> the last time we had you on, uh, we talked about DC Fandom. And the speaking of anger and resentment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one of the things that has occurred since then, uh, I thought of you in particular when uh, the announcement came up is the fact that Michael B. Jordan is producing yep. a static movie. Uh, I know you're a fan of the, the milestone books as I, am I and uh, Kevin who is on our show. Uh, I was just wondering how you thought of, of, this announcement i think it's great i feel like we talked about it you know on the fandom episode like the milestone properties the milestone brand it's something that dc should have been making money off of a long time ago you know like the static cartoon was very successful Mm. back in the day And, and and it was not only successful with the viewers but it was critically acclaimed uh but because Money is always an issue, and and you know DC didn't couldn't come to terms with uh, the right people, uh, and then the families of those people to get things right, particularly you know the estate of Dwayne McDuffie. Uh, like I feel like all of this opportunity, all of the good things that could, they could have been doing over the years were squandered and and wasted to a certain extent. Uh, but yeah, hearing the news about Michael B. Jordan leading this, it is very uh, promising, very hopeful. Uh, like, despite my overall thoughts with the structure of Warner Brothers and, and DC, mm-hmm. like in terms of the corporate entity and then, you know, like the whole Ray Fisher saga this year, oh, uh, like yeah. there's a lot of people in, in, in positions of power that I don't trust. But I feel like having a name like Michael B. Jordan attached to this means it should be in good hands. And I'm really excited for it because I do think like there's an appetite for static who like as as big as miles morales has become i think static has the potential to be an even bigger character for for young people and old people out there yeah and and like from a strictly sort of corporate point of view you have the nostalgia attached to it as mm-hmm. well like people around our age group remember the comics fondly remember the cartoon a lot too so it's it's something that i can see you can hit like kind of both groups, both like our age group and younger with it. Yeah. And it's a very, I don't know the, the, the approach Michael B is going to take to it, but he's somebody that I feel like doesn't make bad choices. Like even, um, uh, unfortunately the, uh, work that he put together for Netflix, uh, fast color, uh, like that. I haven't seen it yet, but everything I've heard about it, uh, has been positive except for like the controversy around it. So unfortunately, like the controversy kind of sank that project before it got off the ground. Mm. Oh, no, no, it's not fast color. It's, um, uh, it's a superhero. It's like raising, uh, I'll come back to, it cause I want, I want the people to check it out. Uh, cause I need to check it out too, before the end of 2020. Mm. Uh, but I do feel like, 
Michael B. Jordan has enough stroke right now, Brent, uh, with Creed and with, of course, Black Panther. Like, he's got enough clout in Hollywood to make sure that this is something that appeals to a lot of people in a, in a broad range of, of demographics. Yeah, and uh, our working theory is that because uh, I want to say, what, two weeks ago from from us having this conversation, uh, Michael B. Jordan was announced as the director for Creed 3. Mm. Part of me thinks that this is, Creed 3 is the testing ground. Yes. It's like it's, uh, if I can direct this, then I'm directing static. But also if like if it turns out that directing is not his thing, and not something he wants to do, then he isn't like leaving that franchise in a lurch. Yes. And, uh, real quick, raising Dion. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Is the, uh, series on Netflix that, uh, Michael B. Jordan produced, uh, about a single mother who's got a young son who develops superpowers. So, uh, like, and, and then, you know, it's, uh, fo- focused on a black woman and, and her child. And then like things of that in the media, we've talked about, about this before on the show, Brent, about representation. And how much that can matter, particularly when you have young viewers who have not seen themselves presented that way before. You know, getting back real quick to the election, I think one of the most beautiful things, regardless of what side of the political fence you're on, is seeing so many young black girls. The night mm-hmm. that the election was decided, like just looking at the TV screen and seeing Kamala Harris. Mm. as the vice president and how that can impact somebody's life and give them inspiration and, and aspirational goals. So, yeah, like I think that Michael B. Jordan is going to like just bring everything to this property. I think it's going to be something much like Black Panther that is specifically and, and blatantly and proudly black, but also accessible. You know, it's not going to be uh, the old CB4 scene where uh, you got Alan Payne. He's like, I'm black, y'all, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm blickety, 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 black, black, black at midnight, black, black and the black cat. Like, it's not going to be that. But it's going to be something that uplifts, uh, you know, black people. But I think that, you know, everybody, regardless of who you are, will be able to uh, have some fun with it. Because at, at its core, like, Static is just a kid who is trying to navigate the world with these powers and, and what those responsibilities mean, right? Like, it's it's not a coincidence that he's that way because he was influenced by Peter Parker. And so like, yeah, like just if people love Peter Parker and what Tom Holland's doing, I think that static will find an audience. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping, and I'm hoping that it's like just the, above all else that it's a good film to, to and, and keep it. And, and again, not to, not to step on anybody's toes, Brent. I know this is a celebration, hundred episodes, but uh, let's just say, let's keep a certain creator. Uh, on on HBO Max, you do your thing over there, player. Yeah. <laughs> just don't let let Michael B stay over here, and you can stay over there, and both both projects can be great on their own. <laughs> uh, w- w- wouldn't it be a little bit of poetic justice if Static starts really well, and then they move into Icon and maybe a couple mm. others, and they accomplish with Milestone what they could not accomplish with the DCU films. Like and it they, would they get yeah. their own franchise. Well, and it would make sense because, like, if you look at, like, we've talked about this before, Brent, like the Marvel blueprint, like because of rights issues or other things, there were certain characters they didn't have access to. 
Mm. at the jump. So they had to go with B or C list characters and really tell stories and cast really great actors and performers in these roles. And it just grew organically as opposed to DC with the justice league where out of the gates, you're getting Batman and Superman and Oh yeah, here's wonder woman too. And the very next movie it's everybody. Here's the justice league. Like I think with milestone, because you have to do so much groundwork in introducing or reintroducing these characters, you could take it at a slower pace and, you know, static leads to, you know, rocket, which leads to icon, which leads to hardware. And, you know, maybe we get the blood syndicate and there's like so many different avenues you can go down so yeah I, I would love to see it if michael b jordan was able to actually kind of launch this mini universe inside of the warner brothers dc film universe yeah uh, i i really hope a lot of those characters get like at least a shot you mm. know it's if if it doesn't work out for some reason like in terms of just box office numbers which are going to be definitely affected by the state of the world that we're in right now yeah. But at the same time, I just, you know, just put together a good group of actors, some good directors and just get it all set up nice so that like it's it's no fault to anybody. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And I like I think static static is almost as close as a sure thing out of all of the titles yeah. within Milestone as you can get. Uh, so I'm not really worried about static's performance. Like the question is, is is the story, I mean, we know the source material, Brent, so we know the stories are good enough. The question is, will the audience appetite be there for an icon and rocket, which I think, you know, that would be the next logical step. Uh, and then it gets a little bit dicier because, again, like I said, you're getting into the blood syndicate and hardware and concepts that might be a little bit more difficult. But I think there's a way, like if you focus on static and maybe branch off in the icon and rocket, there's a way that you can weave these characters in and out. Even if, you know, we don't get a separate hardware solo movie, he can be involved in this universe. Yeah. I, I think out of the, the lot static is, as you say, that that's kind of like a slam dunk. That's it, it sort of writes itself. I think given the the political climate right now, I think Icon would mm. probably, if maybe not money-wise, but definitely if you get the, the right guys working on it, that's a, a critical darling of a story to work with right there. Yeah. And then hardware, I think you could you could do the the only the only sad part about hardware is you run the risk of like, oh, it's black iron man, which is it does have some similarities, but that's not what that character. Oh, is. and here's the thing, though, Brent. I was I was gonna go into this long diatribe about how Icon and Rocket might actually work better. You know, now that we're talking this out as a prestige TV series, kind of like Lovecraft Country, because uh, yeah. then you can really get into Icon's past. You know, living through slavery and all the the Reconstruction era and all that. But you know, you talking about. Hardware basically kind of being like Black Iron Man. I I feel like if they did that, the only way that you could do it and, and have the poet, poetic justice be there, Brent Chittenden, is if you have the hardware movie and starring mm -hmm. as hardware, you have the original, the, the, the only man I will count as my James Rhodes. Oh. Terrence Howard. He's just, I'm, I'm hardware, man. That's what I do. I build things, man. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, do you think uh, Michael B. Jordan ends up as an actor in one of these films? Because his press statement really leads you to believe that it's they're building towards more milestone 
projects, but do you, yeah, well, do you think he works as an actor in one of them? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I don't think he'll be the focus, uh, because I do feel like he wants to be the guy that sets this up for not only the fans out there, but also a new generation of black actors, kind of like mm-hmm. he was doing with, uh, with raising Dion. But I feel like, yeah, like it would make no sense to have Michael B. Jordan making the movie and not be in the movie. And one of the fan theories that I've heard out there on, on a podcast or two that I really kind of like, uh, cause you know, a lot of people were saying he could play pops, but Michael B. Jordan is not pops. Like no, he's, not, he doesn't not fit that. Enough. One of the fan theories I heard that I really actually kind of love is Michael B. Jordan for anybody that's seen the cartoon, Michael B. Jordan as rubber band man. <laughs> like just the fact that we would have rubber band man in live action played by Michael B. Jordan. It's like, you know what? I am not mad at that idea at all. <laughs> well, you know what? In some ways, they should. Because, like, they, they went with trying to be realistic with the DCU movies. Mm. And it didn't quite work out. And then, you know, Marvel, like, it, DC's like, oh, ours is going to be gritty and realistic. And then Marvel comes along and, like, here's a talking raccoon in a tree. <laughs> <laughs> well, so why not? Well, well, DC, go, like, go out there well, with it. Give it a shot. Yes, because we've seen, Brent, like, to me, one of the most enjoyable DC films was Shazam. Mm. And if, like, Shazam, like, it wasn't a kid's flick, but it wasn't dark and grim and gritty either, right? Like, it was a nice balance. You know, to a lesser extent, something like Birds of Prey, which was certainly more adult, but it also had that fun in it. I I think if you make a static film with kind of that tone of Shazam, that would would just kind of be the perfect spot, you know, where we can have this action, we can maybe even touch on some social commentary, but at the end of the day, it's about a kid that is trying to figure out his place in the world when he's been gifted with these powers. Mm. So, uh, switching gears a little bit uh, to the Marvel side of things, uh, basically the, the question mark right now in Marvel, out of everything, is what do you do with Black Panther? Uh, mm. Michael B. Jordan, or not, sorry, um, uh, Ryan Coogler has sort of said that he can't, right now as it stands, he can't see himself making that movie. Uh, our podcast is of the opinion that something's got to be done. Not yeah. not to save the MCU, but just it's the first film was so important, you, you kind of just can't leave it there. Something's got to be done with it. Uh, do you go with Shiri? Or do you do you do something else with it? Yeah, see, I, I mean, the film has to get made for a couple reasons. Like, yes, we can be cold and cynical and talk about the economics, Brent. Uh, but more importantly than that, like you like you touched upon, the cultural relevance of the film is something that has to continue. And I think you know it's something Chadwick Boseman would want to continue. Uh, and so, yeah, I understand, like, you know, the cast is feeling this, you know, a lot of us are still feeling this, you know, I was talking with somebody the other day and we were just, you know, kind of talking about Marvel films and, you know, oh, uh, Shang-Chi, that, that sound like it might be hot or, uh, you know, I'm not really excited for Black Widow or, you know, what the hell is going on with Eternals? We're just kind of chopping up move, MCU movie talk. And then we got the Black Panther and we're like, oh, damn, because that that void that is there for folks with the loss of Chadwick Boseman is, is still and so, yeah, like I think that the movie will get made. I do feel like Ryan Coogler is going to be able to make the movie, you know, once him and the cast kind of process all of this. And in terms of the mantle of Black Panther, 
I think that is something that needs to be passed on. I don't feel that we are ready. You know, I'm speaking for me, but I think I'm speaking for a lot of uh, fans out there, particularly black fans. Like, we don't want to see some new black guy just beat T'Challa. Because I think that would be disrespectful to Chadwick Boseman. So I think, you know, you got to go at least a few films. Like, I mean, I'm even of the opinion that unless you do some type of multiverse thing where we get a T'Challa from another dimension, that we don't have another T'Challa because Chadwick meant that much. But if if you're going to do it, I think it's got to be a multiverse thing. Uh, so when, when we're talking about the mantle of Black Panther, the two candidates I always come back to are Shuri and M'Baku. Uh, because Shuri, obviously, in the comics, Black Panther, uh, and it would be really interesting seeing this kind of more technically uh, proficient Black Panther, particularly if we ever got to the point where we got a Black Panther Spider-Man team up and it's Shuri and Tom Holland's Peter Parker. Mm. Like, just how fun that could be. Uh, But, so if I were writing it, Brent, I think, like, something happens to T'Challa. You know, when when Wakanda's been thrown into chaos and disarray uh, during the time of the snap or the blip or whatever you want to call it, T'Challa's back now. You know, he's kind of in that Joe Biden role, Brent, where the world's gone to hell the last four years, and T'Challa got to come back and fix it, man. And so T'Challa's doing his best and ultimately, you know, unfortunately falls in battle. And so then the country of Wakanda, it's like, what's next? Who's next? And initially they turned to M'Baku because outwardly, that's who you would think of as a leader, as a king, strong, powerful, male. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, but along the way, M'Baku's like, maybe maybe we even get a mission with M'Baku as the Black Panther. And he's just like, like he barely makes it through by the skin of his teeth. And he's like, you know, this is not what I wanted. And Shuri has to pick up the mantle and we get like this really fun kind of lighthearted vibe to offset the loss and the tragedy of losing Chadwick Boseman. I think Shuri, you know, Letitia Wright as Black Panther could be something cool going forward. I think there's some story there that you can play with the idea of because she is, you know, for lack of a better term, such a science nerd who you is trained in combat, but that she has to go into a world that she was never thinking that she was going to go into mm. like full time. And I think there's some good play in that. We, we've sort of suggested on our, on our podcast that the, the rumors that, uh, Namor was going to be showing up and there was going to be, you know, some conflict between Atlantis and Wakanda mm. in, in some ways, uh, I I don't I've been toying with whether this is a good idea or if it's disrespectful is you have Atlantis attack a big flood hits Wakanda and that's what kills Chadwick Boseman's mm. character version of T'Challa because then you have sort of like it kind of mirrors you know sort of like the senselessness of cancer in a lot of ways is like he survived yeah. all of those movies like the infinity war and endgame only to just be you know taken out by a wave i think from a story beat that works brent i just think from a like divorcing it from the what's on the screen i think for the audience if you make Namor the reason that T'Challa is dead, that's a hard thing to come back for if you want them to have any sympathy for Namor. 
No, true, I suppose, yeah. Because it, it makes him almost too big of a heel. Like, maybe, maybe if it's a situation where somebody went rogue and attacked without Namor's, Namor's order, mm. then we can kind of get around that. But yeah, if Namor orders the attack, I think it's going to be really... It's almost like um, Jason Statham. Like, how long it took for the Fast and Furious fans to kind of embrace his character after he killed Han. Like, it, it took a little while for people to come around to uh, Shaw. And I think, like, it would be that times two with Namor, just because Chadwick was so beloved, the character uh, was so beloved. Yeah, uh, I, I think one of the issues with Black Panther, it, like, the hard one, is to be able to write him off screen, not only respectfully, but the, the fact you don't have the actor to do anything with. Yeah. And it, it's got to be it's got to be definitive as well, mm. because I think you know obviously these are comic movies. Anything can happen. Like it would not surprise me if we saw Robert Downey Jr. again sometime. Like in the now, I'm not saying the near future, but for, forever is a mighty long time, Brent Chittenden. Yeah. So like I, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw RDJ in one of these films again. And so like you have to take in mind that these are comic films where death is not the end for a lot of these characters but for t'challa the t'challa that we've been through all these movies with it is because chadwick's not coming back like you can cgi and use special effects all you want it's not going to be the same thing and so like yeah i feel like you know there's a way to kind of do the carrie fisher deal like in the new star wars movies Mm. where we take some unused footage and we kind of piece together maybe a final scene with uh, T'Challa, but other than that, I I would not like to see them try to, you know, play with the listeners. I was play with the viewers, you know, because we we know what's going on. We know the real deal, and yeah, I think the the longer they drag out the fact that Chadwick is in this movie, even though he's really not, the more the movie's gonna hurt. Yeah, I I kind of think they they sort of have to write him out within like the first fifteen minutes to twenty yeah. minutes of the film. Okay, so to wrap things up... I thought you said this was going to be the happy part of the conversation, Brent. <laughs> well, the first part is. Uh, <laughs> or, or, sorry, the middle part. The first part kind of wasn't, and the last part kind of wasn't. But, um, <laughs> we're, we're asking all of our guests. Uh, we do on the show on a regular basis. We have geek picks where we pick like a movie or TV show, things of that nature that we're digging right now. And I'm wondering, uh, Nate Milton, what are you digging right now? What are you watching? What are you reading? What What's good in uh, in your world? I'm going to go all across the spectrum. I'm going give, to give a couple things that the uh, listeners might want to check out. The first, since we are on a podcast, Brent, uh, I'll, I'll throw out a podcast recommendation. And uh, I've got two for you. Uh, one is a wrestling podcast because you and I have talked wrestling a lot over the years, my friend. And... In my opinion, the best non-post-wrestling wrestling show out there is the New Day podcast. It's oh, yeah. easily digestible. Like The longest their episodes run is maybe 45, 50 minutes. Uh, you know, Big E, Kofi, and Xavier, they always got fun stuff to talk about. They always have good guests. Like The episode they just dropped with our truth is hilarious. Like You'll laugh from start to finish, but there's also some truth, no pun intended, uh, on the New Day podcast. So I would recommend the New Day podcast. Another podcast that I've kind of, like, I, I knew about and I listened to a long time ago and then just kind of fell out of it. But because of uh, COVID 
and we got nothing better to do than go back and listen to stuff, Brent, is the Arkham Sessions. Uh, and basically that's a show where uh, you got uh, this uh, psychologist uh, who watches Batman the Animated Series and goes back and, you know, psychoanalyzes Batman and, and Dick Grayson <laughs> and, and the Joker and the Penguin and Two-Face. And, like, uh, I think her and her co-host have over 150 episodes, uh, including uh, some reviews of Doom Patrol, where she just kind of lends her expertise to the psyche of these heroes. And it's really, it's a really fun, fascinating kind of look at comics and, and the, the cartoons uh, that we don't usually get. Uh, that's a great idea for a show. Like, yeah, just not all the the just the faces are really cool. Yeah, it, it, like I think that she's even done some of the Superman Batman crossovers from the DCAU, and then she gets into like the the psychology of Superman and then the 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 symbi- symbology of Superman, and like yeah, it's really interesting. So Arkham Sessions, Arkham Sessions, check that out. Uh, TV, uh, but we'll see. Here's the thing, Brent. Besides sports and nonstop water wall election coverage, I haven't given myself a lot of time for pleasurable viewings uh but i would say check out a couple shows that i I really vibe with one's uh an old show that is going back into production or is in production right now uh that's black lightning uh on the cw which you know yes the the arrowverse the the berlanti versus hit or miss but i think consistently black lightning has been a very good show uh particularly in the time we live in and speaking about real life issues in the wrappings and trappings of superhero stuff. And Cress Williams is great as uh, Jefferson Pierce. Uh, the other show, like, like I mentioned earlier, I alluded to earlier, is, you know, right now, kind of the trend is we're going to take superhero stuff or sci-fi and use it to turn the lens on America. Like Watchmen did that amazingly well. Mm. Uh, I feel like the boys did that not as well as Watchmen, but they did a pretty good job of it. Uh, but Lovecraft Country is something that it took me a while to get into it, Brent, because I don't like generally, I don't like, uh, like horror stuff or horror theme stuff. Yeah. Uh, but just the fact that we take kind of these Lovecraftian elements and we infuse it with real history and things that black people have gone through in America and tell a story that like, I, I I haven't finished it, but I'm like, I don't know where it's going and i've purposely blocked people not blocked people but i muted people on social media so i don't get spoiled uh (laughs) but so far like lovecraft country it's a it's a really interesting show so uh, that's something that uh folks can check out and uh i guess sooner or later i'll start the mandalorian but but right now all my disney plus time brent chittenden is 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 uh reserved for Hamilton, especially after this last week, Brent. I I think I've watched Hamilton three times since the, the election was called on Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> I I was um, kind of surprised that I liked Hamilton as much as I did. I'm not a mm. big musicals person. That's more Jen's department than mine, but I, I did really enjoy it. And also the now that I'm I've watched it, a lot of those actors, it, I'm glad they're starting to get their due because mm, uh, mm-hmm. my wife and I are doing a rewatch of uh, Castle right now. And every yes. once in a while, you see one of these people who was in that show pop up as like a bit person on the episode of the week on Castle, Yep, including Chadwick Boseman. 
It showed yep. up. Uh, season two or three, he was he was a magician that they thought had possibly <laughs> murdered somebody. Oh, yeah. It was amazing how well that man aged. Like yeah. I looked it up, and I'm like, he was like 35 when he did Castle, and that was like nearly 10 years ago. Yep. And like I uh, like. First of all, yes, like Chadwick is is was magic in real life and on and on the screen. Uh, but when you're talking about Hamilton, like yeah, there's so many talented people. Like Leslie Odom Jr., who plays Burr. The only way, mm-hmm. I, the only thing I knew that guy for was the Nationwide commercials, because he was the guy that sing Nationwide is on your side. And oh, really? Okay. Yep, he like for a few years he was the face of the Nationwide ads, and it's like. All of these talented people, particularly people of color, Brent, that are just now kind of getting their due, as you said, and they're they're not just you know taking the lap for the fame; they're doing something with it, you know, because they were so active during the election season mm. of telling people how to vote and how to get registered and how to mail in your ballots. And so, yeah, like to see people that are talented get the kudos and the praise that they deserve, and then to turn around and use all that goodwill to do something good with it. Like I thought that was one of the most, uh, one of the, one of the better stories in a terrible trash dumpster fire of a year. Brent Chittenden. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, uh, while I'm sure a lot of our listeners have already checked out some of your stuff, maybe we've got a few new ones. Where can they find you and, uh, your wares? Good, sir. Yes, you can uh, check me out uh, in, uh, in a multitude of, of places, uh, a plethora, if you will, Brent. Uh, first of all, you can check me out at my home base, the Mothership, the Kings of Sport podcast. We have a Patreon, patreon.com backslash the Kings of Sport. Uh, and as, as I was joking with Brian Mann earlier today uh, for an, a very special uh, election uh, post-mortem, I guess you could say, Brent, that will be airing on post-wrestling soon, or it's probably already aired by now. Who knows mm. what time is in 2020? Uh, but uh, <laughs> as I was joking earlier today, like, you know, I'm not going to say that, you know, black people deserve reparations or a Kwanzaa bonus or anything like that for saving the republic and saving democracy uh, in this election, but if you want to slide five dollars a brother's way to support his Patreon and support <laughs> these products out here, I won't stop you. Uh, you know, because black podcasts matter, folks. So that's that's all I'm saying, Brent. Uh, so you can check that, check that out at patreoncom backslash the Kings of Sport. Uh, there's a, uh, over a hundred hours of audio and video on there. Uh, I did a review of Avengers Endgame on there. Uh, you know, we've done some political shows on there. We've done. Uh, a lot of wrestling shows on there, which Brent has been a part of some of them, uh, if you're a pro wrestling fan. Uh, so you can check that out. Speaking of wrestling, post-wrestling is where you can find the Rocky Maivia Picture Show. You know, not, and, and you know how good this show is, Brent? Not only was I able to, to get you as a guest, but I was able to get the, the, the big ticket item. I was able to procure the the expert analysis of you know the the, the top Chittenden in the game right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was able to get Jen on the show to talk about Hercules recently. So uh, you know, uh, if you're a fan of Dwayne Johnson or just a fan of people talking about movies and that that have varying levels of quality, <laughs> you can check out the Rocky Mountain Picture Show over at Post Wrestling. Uh, you know, I mentioned Black Lightning earlier. I'm one of the hosts of the Black Lightning podcast at DCTV Podcast. Uh, so you can check that out. I've got the main event on Place to Be Nation. 
Uh, there's like two or three other like one-off shows I do here and there, Brent. But for all of that, just follow me on Twitter at in the number eight M O Z A I K. You can find me there and uh, check out all my shows and all the things that I, I will uh, shamelessly plug with, with, with uh, no compunction, Brent Chitton. But uh, speaking of plugging things, I definitely want to you know turn it back around and, and give uh, you and the, you and the uh, crew up here uh, their flowers for hitting this milestone, Brent. Uh, so hopefully he hears to a hundred more, and uh, yeah, I, I, I want to see this uh, continue, and then maybe, maybe one day, Brent, maybe one day, we can all be in the same room where it happens at the same time, because it, it feels like every time I'm on this show, I'm only talking to you. I need to talk to the rest of the nerds, Brent. <laughs> We're definitely going to have to figure out uh, an episode where you're on with all of us. But, uh... <laughs> Thank you again for for joining us, Nate. Like I said, it w- it wouldn't be a celebration of the show without you and the, the couple other people who are coming up. Well, I appreciate you having me, brother. Again, uh, you know, thanks for thanks for always hopping on these shows with me, and I wish you and the gang uh, much continued success, my brother. was a uh, a visit with our good brother mr nate milton i i love having nate on the show and it it gives us a little bit of uh, a different perspective on on nerdy stuff you know being the fact that uh, we're quite frankly and honestly we are all white people from canada and he is from kind of the south <laughs> so and a uh, man uh, he's from man. souther than us Yes, from definitely souther from us. I, I think originally Nate's from. I, I know he at least spent time in Atlanta. So, but uh, yeah, it's always good to have him on, and he has he has made the request that he appear on an episode with everybody from the show at some point. So yeah, because I got to meet him for the first time when I did his podcast, but before that was my first time talking to him. He's a good dude. So, Another guy yeah, that I. He's a guy that I've known for like 20 plus years in an online fashion. (laughs) Never met in person, unfortunately. Speaking of years, uh, we have been on it it downloadable since 2017. And a lot of nerdy stuff has gone down since then. So, again, a little bit of a trip down memory lane. Um, anybody have any particular like nerd moments that really stand out to you from that period? Like, well, one thing that's gone on over the last, uh, I guess three years there, we've been reporting on the streaming wars before then it wasn't really a thing. And mm. we've watched it evolve in that time because it was what you had Netflix and Crave and each and, and, and prime started some stuff. And then Amazon Prime really picked up their game. And and then now you've got Amazon Prime, you've got uh, Apple, you've got HBO Max, uh, Netflix, Disney Plus. Uh, 
and they're all scrambling over top of each other to, to get the, the, the next big thing. Like, mm. you know, the Mandalorian. That's, uh, yeah. that's one thing that we've, you know, yeah, that, that's been constantly in our news stories. And and as we saw from the, the part one of this episode, has been gaining steam, like, a lot, in the, especially with COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I miss movie theaters though. Oh well, yeah. Like, I, I, I miss the. It's not like I went to everything. Uh, we, we did go to a lot of the big budget screen ones, but out of everything that's going on right now, like with the world shutdown, that's the the one thing I miss is, uh, and, and weirdly, it's the the also the annoying thing is like I miss like the messages between you, me, Ed, and Rex and Kevin trying to figure out when we can all see the movie and like together and when like I've got to work that day or all that Mm -hmm. stuff and figuring out the date that we can we can all see it or at least afterwards if we can't see it the same day when we can get together to do a podcast episode to talk about it pre-ordering our tickets at the same time so we can all sit beside each other but no not or, or even going to see some of those special screenings, like we saw, we went and saw Ghostbusters, mm. like OG or, Ghostbusters, or Spaceballs. Yeah, Spaceballs was a lot of fun. Spaceballs or, amazing on the big screen. Yeah, I or Spaceballs. Transformers so the movie, where <laughs> <laughs> where everybody in the audience was singing along to the theme songs and all the different stuff at the same time because we were all big nerds. <laughs> You mean I think that's are the, all big nerds. I yes. think that's one thing that Netflix and a lot of these these things have dropped the ball on is having the the Zoom watch along. Like you know, like like you just uh, we all go into Netflix, click the button of like party watch, and then we're all sort of watching it together. None of them have that as like a native part of their app. Someone does now. Oh, someone, Disney? someone was experimenting. I don't know if it was Disney Plus or Netflix was experimenting with it again, oh. like a month ago. Yeah, but hopefully, hopefully in the future, we keep saying that, and maybe one day it'll be sort of true. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, yeah. the one thing that really stands out to me as like one of those nerd moments that just like still sticks in my head is when. Cap picks up the the hammer. I thought that's what you were gonna say. Oh just yeah. The audience reaction yeah. is is just so great. Well just and along those the, two movies. Along alone. the same Sorry, go I ahead, gonna, Jen. I was gonna say along the same lines is uh that uh uh what's the second Star Wars one? Not Force Awakens, the next one. Oh uh Last, Last Jedi? Jedi when um What's her face rams the ship through the Super Star Destroyer and it just like hyperspaces through it to destroy it. And the whole theater was just silent. And the movie was silent. Yeah. The one dude, it breaks the silence with, holy shit. Which is what everybody was thinking. It was just like, yeah, it was holy shit is what it was. But yeah, those two moments in going to see in theaters was freaking amazing. The the other thing, like, and this is completely sort of selfish a little bit, was uh, we had talked with Ed for a number of episodes 
uh, Ed had dropped out of toy collecting a little bit, and we we're like, well, what's the one thing that will get you back? <laughs> and sucked you back in. <laughs> and Ed has, had stated from the beginning, if we got like a Star Wars Black series like GI Joe. Would, he would be back in and we got them this year yep yeah and that sort of yeah i was able to get the the first wave of the gi joe classified series and and that sort of led to other things which led to me getting my gi joe collection out of storage for six years so i've been the past three weeks of unpacking everything over 200 vehicles and a thousand figures all set up, put away in storage. Put it away for a year. I just needed a break from it. And one year turned into six. And now I have a dedicated room in my house now for G.I. Joe. So I had a room before which turned into my office. So now I have another room. And uh, not only that, I'm back to buying old stuff again but definitely that market has completely changed but yeah i'm back into it's kind of like john wick yeah i'm back <laughs> yes yeah, so it, it's totally rekindled your uh your toy collecting or at the very least your gi joe love affair well this year yeah, yeah it definitely rekindled gi joe the other thing this year i've bought more toys this year than i have before but this year seems to be, maybe it's the COVID, um, but it seems to be the stuff from my childhood, like the new Masters Universe Classic Series. So I've been buying them. I've, I've got, you know, five of those figures. Um, the NECA Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles line from oh. the 1990 movie. You know, I wasn't going to buy them. And then when I started looking at them, it's like, geez, these are really great designed figures. Mm. So, you know, all in on them. Um, even I took them out of the package today, but the Marvel Legends uh, old man, old man Hawkeye figure is amazing. Like, I yeah. absolutely loved them. So, no, I'm, there's a few ones I'm trying not to get back into, but uh, other ones like G.I. Joe Classified and Masters of the Universe, I'm back in. So who's been your favorite Joe figure to come out of out of the Classified wave so far? Is there one that you, that just hits all the right buttons for you? Um, I would say probably my favorite so far... Um, Really digging the Destro because mm-hmm. Destro, I think, is the closest to being a new figure that looks more like the originals. Mm. You know, because it's like Duke and Snake Eyes and Roadblock and Gung Ho have modern takes on the original design, while Destro pretty much looks almost the exact same as original. Yeah. Um, I'm also bad too. I haven't got them all in the package yet. Just because, you know, I've been spending so much time trying to get my room all set up with all the shelving and the lighting. And um, I want to kind of have everything set in place before I start unpacking everything completely. So Mm. when you have the aircraft carrier and and it's two and a half feet wide, (laughs) seven and a half feet long, it sort of dictates how you're going to have everything set up. So... 
But no, if you follow me on Instagram, the odd time I'll throw up my story of what I'm unpacking or working on so you can kind of give an idea of how big the collection is. Yeah, and have, I don't know how to put this. Have you discovered anything from uh, about your your love of G.I. Joe from going through your old stuff, like now unpacking it and putting it out on display? Like, is there any of the, the older figures that like maybe stand out more to you now than maybe you did, they did when you packed them away. Well, the odd thing is, is like the, the stuff from like 1990, 1991, basically the beginning of the decline of GI Joe. Some mm-hmm. of those figures I'm really liking, um, you know, I, back in those days, I didn't quite like them with the, uh, with all the neon and all that kind of stuff. But, no, I just really digging those figures now. Um, I was at Big B Comics, and I ended up getting finding a vehicle that I never had. And oh, really? Yeah, uh, I got the I got the roll or Thunderclap. Um, I'm not sure I know what that is. It's, have to it's, Google a, it it's, a, it's a three-piece vehicle with a huge, huge launcher on it, and a driver on it. His name is Long Range, and a Ryan and I went into Big B one day and I was talking to Mark and I looked on the shelf and this thing was almost complete. So pulled the trigger, I had to buy it. So it was the first old piece I bought in a long time. Oh, okay. I kind of recognize it. I think that is a, a, a piece that Townsend Ramsey had. He was the, the kid that I knew who had all the cool stuff. Like, other than you, the only person I know, like the only physical person I know who had the flag. Speaking of G.I. Joe and Hasbro, this is going to be a rough segue. Let's hear from a guy who has worked on Hasbro properties before. Namely, uh, he worked on My Little Pony for a bit. But he's also the guy who has done a lot of uh, stuff with uh, one of our favorite characters, Mr. Bodie Troll. Jay Fosgett joined me because it wouldn't be an anniversary episode of the show without a little bit of Fosgett. So here you go. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it would not be a anniversary show for this podcast without the gentleman who is on the other end of this line. He was, I don't know if he was our first guest, but he was definitely up there in the first one or two. Mr. Jay Fosgett joins us for episode 100. How are you, Jay? I'm great, Brent. How are you? Ah, can't complain. Can't complain. So the the last time we talked to you, uh, it was uh, for a review on the Dark Crystal, which unfortunately seems to be no longer going forward, despite being a spectacular first season. Yeah, it was just an expensive first season, and yeah. uh, that's what it came down to. Um, but uh, the good thing is, is you are working on a ton of stuff right now, from what I understand from our previous conversations. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about Bodhi. Bodhi is uh, alive and well. What are you currently working on with him? So um, <clears throat> for what appears to have been a year now, uh, I've been working on what 
ostensibly would be volume two of Bodie Troll, which will be published through Boom Studios. Um, not exclusively COVID, uh, but COVID has certainly played a part in the schedule getting thrown out the window. Mm. Um, so I, in the in the course of working on Bodie for the past year, I've lost two editors, uh, one who went on to a different job uh, in, in publishing elsewhere and another who had to quit Boom for personal reasons. So that kind of threw things up in the air for Bodie just a little bit. And then, of course, COVID just through publishing schedules out the window, as I said. Mm. So what what's going on now is I'm producing Bodhi basically on my own schedule. And once the book is done, I hand it off to Boom. And then we're going to figure out uh, a good strategy for uh, its publication date and all that. So. so does that include, like, are you going to produce it as kind of like a monthly floppy comic at first? Or is it going to come out as a, a one volume graphic novel or is that still to be kind of decided well i'm pretty sure it's a graphic novel no matter what um the last thing that we had discussed at least well, i'll say four months ago if not more was that they want to re-release volume one as two books so uh split those up and then we would release this book that i'm working on now Kind of creating a trilogy for Bodhi where originally it probably would have been just two big volumes. So, uh, and, and again, this isn't set in stone. This is something we're still discussing, but I'm pretty sure that's the way they're going to want to go. And uh, in some ways, I'm really happy about it because it's going to give people a chance to get caught up on Bodhi, particularly all these people that haven't even discovered it yet. And it's going to get everyone kind of back on track, all up to speed with everything that is Bodie pretty much all at the same time. So no matter what level of fan you have been brand new or, you know, five, six years ago, uh, however long it's been, then you're all going to be, you know, introduced to Bodie at the same time. And I really like that opportunity. Yeah. I think it's a good way of doing it myself. Not that I have any real publishing knowledge, <laughs> but, uh, I like the ha the idea of having those volumes kind of on the shelf, like just so you can pull off one. It's, I I enjoy going to the the comic book shop every week and buying floppies, but I will admit that it's rare that stuff gets pulled out of my long boxes as opposed to getting pulled off of my shelf. Right. Yeah, I'm the same way. Um, I almost never get floppy comics anymore. So the other thing you were working on last we spoke was uh, some illustrations for a Disney project. Uh, can you kind of update us on how that's going? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so the original project uh, was uh, a series. It was going to be um, three books about a young Donald Duck and all the Mickey Mouse and all his gang as kids, like eighth graders. Um attending this special academy and it has a different writer attached to it. And I'm the illustrator. And so that was the original plan. And right now there's talks of doing a fourth book as well, but I'm getting all caught up with that and I'm wrapping up book three here in the next month. And, um, but uh, yeah, I've, I've been working on this series for over a year or two now. And, 
it's right now it's being released in Europe, which is weird because originally it was slated for North American release. Mm. And uh, in part, I believe it's because there's such a tremendous fan base for, for the original Disney characters over in Europe, particularly France, Italy, Germany, which have already gotten their own releases. So um, I, I think that just kind of took precedent. Uh, and uh, we'll see what happens. You know, I, going forward, I'm hoping it gets released here in North America. So I would kind of be surprised if it doesn't, just because of all the the work and money, like even on Disney's end, the work and money they've put into it, let alone like yours and the writers. And quite frankly, I really hope it does because I don't, <laughs> I don't want to go to uh, my aunt in law who lives in Holland and try and get her to ship me a copy. Oh yeah. Well, and it's that's that's the thing is like there's so many Disney books produced over there that are never released in North America, certainly mm. not in the United States, um, because they're done by these brilliant European artists. And that's all they do. And I'm friends with us with some of those guys and they're producing work that is above and beyond what I see over here in the States. Um, their level of cartoon artistry is God. Like like classic golden age Disney animation level, basically. Mm. Yeah, it's um oh his name is escaping me. The guy who draws Black Sad is Oh yeah, yeah. Um Oh it's yeah. Uh, I feel bad I'm because a tip on my tongue. Because I worked so hard to get the pronunciation right when I did the panel. <laughs> Juan Guarnido? Yes. Good job, Jeff. <laughs> well, I I got I think Guarnido is correct. I'm not sure about the first name. I might have that wrong, uh, but I adore his work. Mm. And uh, he started off, I guess, working for when Disney had their own studio in France. Um, he worked for them initially, working on Goof Troop and Hunchback of Notre Dame and a few other things. And then, in a sense, become this prolific comic book artist. Yeah. Do you or do you think? the European sensibility for comic work would be something that maybe the American market should look at adapting a little bit more than it has. Like I do. I I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, um, it's it's okay. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I absolutely do. And it bothers me because I, I feel like U S booksellers and U S publishers are have, you know, in the last 20 odd years have been so surprised and how popular uh, manga is over here. And mm. so now they act like the only international comics are manga. And any European stuff we get over here is not pushed towards all ages audiences. It's, it's, it's more like the fanographics readership that, that they're pushed towards. And honestly, you have all these, I mean, I'm going to cite Tintin and Asterix as two of two of my favorites. Yeah, um, but they are not widely circulated around here, and younger audiences, I think, would eat that stuff up. Uh, but we have to push that as much as we are pushing manga or or any North American comics, the superhero stuff. You know, we have to want to try new things. But right now, the industry is you know uh, on such shaky ground. I don't think anyone's looking to reinvent the wheel which is what that would take. Yeah, I kind of wonder about that in some ways, that maybe it's the next generation will be the the ones that really push that forward. Uh, like, my, my niece and nephew 
read comics, but they don't read superhero stuff. They read like stuff like Diary of a Wimpy Kid and the, yeah. the that are like essentially comics, but they are not what I even I think of initially as a comic book. And maybe they're the ones who are going to be the the switch because they're used to getting you know, a paperback sized book of comics and comic strips. And that's how they see them. Like the, the, the floppy idea, they're sort of skeptical about whatever I bring. Yeah, no, they, they've gotten used to something a little bit sturdier, you know, a good paperback, glossy covered book, uh, something, you know, for lack of a better description that you can bring into the bathroom with you. Mm. Uh, most floppy comics are not that transportable. Uh, or not that durable, obviously. So, although maybe that is a line to throw on to the the back of the the boat, the next boaty trade. Oh, absolutely, it's durable I mean, enough to bring into the bathroom with you. I encourage it. I mean, there's certainly enough toilet jokes in there that it's it's a fitting <laughs> descriptive. So, so one of the things I have to commend you on, Jay, is over the the last year. Uh, you have expanded your creativity to uh, one Mr. Tuck Bodkins. <laughs> I appreciate that. I love Tuck Bodkins. Every time you put a video on, I if I can, I stop what I'm doing <laughs> to watch it. And I can't mm. I can't even remember what the, the, the last video was about, but when <laughs> the last one was the voting video. Right. It was it was voting day in America, so And it, it was the line where he calls them racists. <laughs> yeah, well because, because he's, he's like half the, puppet. I'm half puppet and they wouldn't let me vote. Racist. Um, I was yeah. crying. Well, <laughs> it was literally you- tears down my face. That makes me very happy to hear uh, because I honestly worry that I'm only making these for myself and I look weird posting them online. Um, but making these sort of uh, short form improvisational puppet videos has become my hobby and I haven't had a hobby like ever. Um, drawing is always what I did. So it's such an, it's a fun creative release for me that's apart from drawing and uh, I, I love it. I was going to sort of tie in a question to that. Has the the creative work that you've done with Tuck has that informed your current work at all as as a comic artist? Have, have does it make you see anything a little differently than you were maybe before you were doing this long term? Well, you know, I tell you one thing um, that I've kind of carried over back into my comic work is I've always had kind of imp- an improvisational bent to the way I've done my comics, you know, like, um, I don't rigidly plan things out like layouts and even my writing. And now that I've, I've done so much improv with Tuck over the past year, I come back and I bring that to my, like I'm writing Bodie right now. And I've had these scripts written for over a year. And as I am drawing the comic and I'm laying out the text, I'm like, you know what? A a funnier joke that would fit this story better is coming to mind right now. And, I'll change it right there on the spot, and that's it. And that's improv. And I definitely think making these Tuck Bodkins improv puppet videos uh, is is really sharpened me in that area. Where does Tuck come from? Like it, it, it as a concept? You mean? Yeah. Well, as sort of the character that like is it somebody who's been kicking around for a while, or did something sort of really spur it on? 
That's one of the things I love about Tuck Bodkins is he is improvised from start to finish. So um, if I have an addiction, it is commissioning puppets to be built based off of my designs. Mm. And only in the case of Bodhi has there been a puppet built that was uh, a character that I had really established, you know, fleshed out character and design and everything. The rest of these characters, I would just do like a quick sketch and I'm like, yeah, that'd make a cool puppet. And I'd contact my friend James Wojtol, for example, who built Tuck and built the original Bodhi puppet. The second Bodhi puppet was built by Jamie Bresler. Um, I have a lot of puppet builder friends, but in the case <laughs> of Tuck, I just made this quick sketch for what I thought would be a very basic hand puppet. It wouldn't even have arm rods or anything. And I sent it off to James, and I'm like, do you think we can do this? And he's like, yeah, this will be a breeze. And within weeks, it was done. And he sent it back to me, and all I gave him was a sketch, and I had a name. I had no personality in mind, and I didn't put much thought into the sketch. The fact that Tuck has four arms, none of which work, I didn't take time to think about that. It looked good in the drawing at the time, and then it made a great uh, figure uh, of the puppet. So um, that's that's where it all came from. It was all very spur of the moments, you know, gut instinct, I want to do this, and we did it, you know? It, and that goes for all the videos, all the concepts I come up with. They're either spur of the moment off the top of my head, or in some cases, I'm in the bathroom and come up with a poop joke that ends up getting turned into a video. So, <laughs> so um, with that, uh, what is the the future of Tuck Bodkins? Is it just going to be like your your for, like you said your for fun hobby thing? Yeah, I think so. Um, people have asked, well, uh, when are you going to do a Tuck? Uh, comic book or, or strip or whatever. And I had considered it. I had considered writing Tuck into Bodhi somehow, but honestly, I like Tuck being his own thing, uh, apart from being a comic or being a drawn character. So as of right now, Tuck is his own thing. It's his own reality. Um, it's something I'm just doing for fun. I don't ever see myself monetizing Tuck. Mm. Um, much as I'm, I'm happy to be able to like do Bodhi as part of my career, I don't like the idea that everything I do creatively has to come for money. So um, Tuck is very freeing in that way as well. It's just me having fun, and if people come along for the ride, so much the better. Yeah, I kind of get that. Uh, during the summer, I was doing a little bit, and I, I've got to get back to it. Um, you know, on Facebook, those memes of like, like posting an album cover a day that influenced your life and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So a, a graphic designer friend of mine who, who's done, I I've worked with him on a couple things, but he also has done stuff for, uh, the Disney parks and things like that. He did a bunch of those and they turned out to be all fake. He just no did, kidding, really. He, he did twelve album covers just out of COVID boredom of fake bands that never existed, and I was so taken by it. I'm like, can I write That's... bios for these bands? And he's like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so for every once in a while, I'll pull out one of these fake album covers and come up with a story for it. Just that is as, so cool. Yeah, just as an outlet from the the everyday writing job that I've got right now, it's 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 a nice release. So I I completely get it. 
Well, I kind of feel, I mean, if there is a positive to be taken away from all of this COVID stuff, is that some people have really found new creative outlets for themselves. You know, maybe they're doing uh, uh, streaming movie reviews or TikTok has blown up for a lot of my friends who just who do makeup for fun. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I think... It's a horrible situation, but if, if we can bring about any bit of creativity and joy from all of this, I think that's really a special thing. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah. So uh, I guess the last thing we have to do uh, before we let you go is uh, where can people find your stuff? And uh, is your commission list open? And if so, where can uh, they uh, purchase your wares, good sir? Well, uh, my commission list is technically it's always open. Uh, very rarely do I say, well, I'm shutting down commissions because I'm so busy because I always am looking to bring income in from somewhere. Um, but uh, I have a website. It's jfosgett.com. Um, it's, it's fairly recent. It's, it's, it was revamped right before COVID hit, and it needs some updates here and there. But basically, it's it's pretty all up to speed on everything that – I, uh, I'm working on now. So you can go there and you can find links to my social media. I'm still on Facebook and Instagram. I have Twitter. I don't use it a lot because I'm not argumentative enough to be on there. Um, um, the other thing I, I wanted to mention to you, uh, and I hope this doesn't, you know, throw the show off guard or anything. Um, I have been developing a brand new concept that I'm not sure if it's going to be a comic book or a comic strip or what I'm going to do with it. Ooh. And obviously it's going to happen after the Disney stuff is done or certainly after Bodhi is done because Bodhi is my top priority right now. Hmm. But um, this would see me doing sci-fi for the first time. Oh. Which I think you and I may have talked about this a little bit. Um, does it have anything to do with that sort of lineup, in, like like a crime lineup image you had with – Kind of like well, a, a sci-fi circusy sort of theme, you know. Uh, that was definitely an inspiration for it, but not specifically. Um, oh, okay. That was that piece I had done for Emerald City Comic Con's Monsters and Dames art book, which of course didn't happen this year. The show didn't happen this year. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's what I had done it for, and it kind of made me feel like you know I really want to play in sci-fi. It's the one area I've never gotten into before so i've been developing i have a concept i have characters um i just have to sit down and start writing it out and really putting the pieces that i have together oh but it's gonna be funny um it's going to be you know creatures you know it's not gonna be like astronauts stranded in space you know it's like oh, it's it's just not me uh, i have to do things with weird creatures and very organic looking tech and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah. So that's something else that I'm, I've been developing all you know during the past year or so. Oh, dude, I, I'm looking forward to to hearing more about that because I was hoping that you were going to go in that direction next. Like, I I just find that your creativity is very contagious in a lot oh, of ways, uh, and yeah, and seeing that sci-fi piece from. A little while ago, like it is yeah. like I, I, I'm very curious to see where you go with it. 
Well, it was important for me to to do something that was pretty far removed from either Bodie Troll or Dead Duck. Hmm. Um, I had done some fairy tale aspects to Dead Duck back in the day, which kind of fired my interest in doing Bodie Troll. And then with sci-fi, I was like, well, that is far enough removed from fairy tales because I could not just do another fairy tale book and not run the risk of repeating themes that I've already approached in Bodhi. So I just wanted to do something fresh that I had interest in. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of specific sci-fi I'm into, like Firefly and Blade Runner and, and things like that. So um, I want to kind of bring my appreciation of those things into play while hopefully creating something new which is difficult because so much sci-fi has been done in the last hundred years. Mm. It's hard to, you know, reinvent the jetpack, so to speak. <laughs> it's a good phrase for it. Never thought of it that way. Then. Uh, <laughs> so uh, thank you very much for joining us on episode 100, Jay. Uh, we will obviously be in touch via social media and other forums. And I, I gotta say the, like not to end on a downer note, but the one thing that I really missed about not doing Fan Expo this year was seeing your face at an art duel. Oh, thanks. I, I miss seeing your face and participating in that. That was the most fun. Yeah. Um, not you know. So hopefully next year we can get at least one show back in Toronto. Just just one. Yeah. Well, the, you know, they're they're talking vaccine, so hopefully yeah. maybe. Yeah, you know, you just got to be patient and persevere and keep masking up, and hopefully we'll see conventions again soon. And that was my little chat with Mr. Jay Fosgett, who is uh, another guy that we, we've had on a lot because, uh, quite frankly, I like him. <laughs> and when we go to a convention, he's always willing to talk to us. Yes. And- yeah. He's a he's a good dude. Uh, I talked to him for like it, he's one of those other guys that like I legit feel that he and I are like on friendly terms. Like we talked for about I want to say twenty minutes to half an hour after I turned the mics off. Um, his uh, he has an upcoming project that sounds really really cool that I can't really talk about here. But uh, he, did you he ask gave him to me- draw us into the background of of uh, Bodie Troll yet? <laughs> no, no. I, we should hint at it maybe one day I think we just maybe did he listens <laughs> yeah he uh he's uh he's steadily working on Bodie as you can hear from that interview and uh his, his Disney stuff is coming along nicely too that and cool. hopefully we will see that Disney stuff somewhere in North America so uh, as uh, before we've been talking about some of our favorite uh nerd moments from 2017 to now because the show started up in 2017. Kevin, you got anything that stands out for you? Oh, I've got to say, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is probably the biggest thing that has happened uh, since um, since we... Yeah, you know, I turn into 13-year-old me again when I see a Marvel movie. It, uh, It doesn't seem to matter which one, you know? Um, oh man, going to see uh, Teen Titans Go with you and Brent was awesome. Oh, that was fun all too. Of, all of the little jokes that like I wouldn't have picked up on because I'm not big into the that kind of uh, era of comics. You were just laughing your head off. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that was that was fun too. Uh, just, um, I, I think, um, I think it's been interesting that in the last few years, the you know the rise of the streaming services, the um, the return of Star Trek. Oh my God! Like, you guys know how much I love Star Trek, and it's been good. It's been good television, and I'm so excited mm-hmm. to watch Star Trek every week. Uh, I uh, that that's another thing, and. And who would have thought that we would reach an age to where where we've got new Star Wars on television, live action Star Wars on television every week, too? Mm. I mean, we are living in the golden age of nerdery. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah. On top definitely. of that, there's The Expanse. There's the 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 the, um, uh, the, the age like Watchmen and Westworld, you, you know? The CW superhero verse, like I never could have imagined anything like that when I was a kid. You know, we're uh, we're very very lucky to have the things we love be so embraced by um, by the culture at large these days. Yeah, definitely. It's you know, it, it, one part of it is like, yeah, studios are making a lot of money off of these. But um, in the case of Marvel, at least, there you know that there's a lot of love going into it from mm-hmm. the people who are involved, and I think that I think DC is really starting to go that way too now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you with James Gunn and the the cast that he kind of assembled for Suicide Squad seemed right. like they're they had a blast on that movie. So. Not, well, John Cena definitely did because he signed up for a TV series. Uh, Patty Jenkins, Wonder Woman, you know, mm. another just great fun movie. I think, I think while new Star Trek had a bit of a rocky start with, with the showrunner turnover so so often at the beginning, I don't think anything was done that wasn't sort of done out of love for the franchise, and I feel like now. Star Trek has been renewed for the 21st century. Like who would have ever thought that there would be three Star Trek series, three different Star Trek series on in the same year. You know, it's been, it's been 25 years since there were even two Star Trek shows on at the same time. And and granted they're smaller run shows, but I think it leads to new kinds of storytelling. And uh, while every episode hasn't been the greatest, on the whole, I think Star Trek is a is a new, renewed franchise that um, that I can't wait to dip my toe in every week. And then to top it all mm-hmm. off, Doctor Who keeps reinventing itself too. You know, Thirteenth yeah. uh, Doctor, she's fantastic, and the stories they did with her this season, which I'm not going to talk about because I know Brett and Jen haven't seen, yeah. um, uh, astounding. So you know. All of my favorite franchises are back, and they're all being they're all being um, handled by people who seem to really love them and care about how they're seen going forward. So it's I feel, crazy. I feel bad that we fell off the Doctor Who bandwagon because I was like super into it for a long time, and it has nothing to do with the new Doctor because I have seen a couple of episodes with her, and, and she is fantastic. I just mm-hmm. I don't know for some reason we just didn't. We, I bought it. I just haven't watched it yet. I kind yeah, of feel bad about it. We bought that. it later on, and while we were watching other things at the time too, we we tend to be we're the couple that watches things like kind of straight through mm-hmm. until they're done. Mm-hmm. So if something interrupts that, we 
tend to either get off track or, or we never watching. go back to it. Yeah. That's why we never finished Burn Notice, because I think we, we stopped before like the last season and started watching something else and never went back to it. Yeah, because right. well, partially is uh, we lost the season on DVD somewhere too, uh, and we, like because we were buying them on DVD at the time because it wasn't streaming on anything that we had. So, but uh, well, it, it's also sort of strange to think too that new Doctor Who, uh, and I and I you didn't see my finger quotes, but I put finger quotes around the word new has been on television hey. for fifteen years now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, I, I just, um, and this podcast has led me to appearing on other podcasts, which has led me to hosting other podcasts, which has led me to creating my own podcasts. So, um, you know, podcasts for everybody. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I've never thought that I would be on a podcast, let alone hosting one. And now I'm hosting Sailor Snacking with Tracy and it's exactly. awesome and fun. Exactly. Yeah, we got to give a shout out to Tracy too. Uh, we do because yes. she is she has been a great co-host for you and also very dedicated to to getting that show done. Especially like given the fact that she no longer lives in the same town you do. You know, yeah, and I think coordination if you, if you was ask, a lot easier when she lived here. <laughs> I think if you ask her about her dedication to sailor snacking, it will be uh, because she wants the snacks. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah, it's a good reason. So we're going to go to our last interview, but when we come back, I'm going to have a different variation on the geek pick for our uh, our hosts this week, and uh, th- you you might be kind of intrigued by the question and the answers that we get. But first, we have uh, this is kind of a mixed tag that we've got coming in because we have one guy who has been on the show. Uh, and we have another, his co-host for his podcast has never appeared before, but both have been very uh, good to us and having me on, on their show and hosting things. It is from the Post Wrestling Network, Mr. Waiting and John Pollock. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the A team. That makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Way take the mic. Joining me now are two guys that I've known for probably over a decade now, and I've managed to get one of them on the show before, but I don't think I've ever had both on the show at the same time. So from one of the best wrestling podcasts out there, Post Wrestling, good friends of mine, Waiting and John Pollock. Hello, Brent. Hey, Brent. How you doing? Good, very good. I, I'm glad this was able to work out because uh, I've had way on, but I haven't had the combo of you, and it's the the combination of you guys working against or <laughs> against one another uh, with one another is kind of what makes your show work, in my opinion. Uh, well, thank you. It means that we're completely dependent on one another. If one falls out, it's a whole house of cards. Well, <laughs> you do have Nate Milton in the wings, though. Oh man, Nate! Nate is um, Nate is really just like the the 
he's not really against or with us. I would say he's like he's the guy who I think is like puts it all together. You know, he's yeah, he's the best. Is all I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, I I I love Nate. Um, one of the things we talk about on our show a little bit, much to the chagrin of my wife and uh, my other co-host Kevin, is uh, pro wrestling. Uh, the part of how I met you guys was wrestling, and I wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about how the landscape has kind of changed a little bit in the last year with AEW. From my sort of novice perspective, like I'm a fan, but I, I'm not an insider by any imagination i don't know any guys who work at companies for the most part it looks like it's really been a game changer is that an understatement or uh, is it dead on I, i think you'd have to say it's dead on i mean we're talking about a company that has a national television deal that has an international presence as well and that for nothing else what you can say about aew is that it is not just a a viable competitor, but it has had the effect of WWE escalating the floor of numerous contracts for talent prior to a lot of their cuts earlier this year. So automatically it gave you that, that, uh, that ripple effect for WWE talent that their value went up exponentially just because of the concern of any talent leaving to this alternative in AEW. So it's changed the industry. I think that's not even a debate at this point. And given their renewal with with Warner Media, it's something that it's already been a proven success given that it's going to be years before this this current deal is up with them. Yeah. And just as a fan, like I think just having that second alternative be um economically viable is a huge thing. We've been through it before with TNA, but uh, for whatever reason, it just was not the type of, I think, I don't know, quality of, of, of pro wrestling that uh, it seemed, seemed to hit right with the audience. This is something that, for from all accounts, seems to be firing on several cylinders. Speaking of which, there, there's a lot of good, but has there been any sort of bad or duds to come out of AEW? I mean, there's certainly um, room for improvement in the promotion. I don't think, I, I think it's, I think that there is fair criticism for AEW. I also have been astounded by the microscope that this company has been placed under. And I think given their prominence and they themselves, they have put themselves into that position, I think, with what they have uh, come out and wanted to present themselves as. But it is something like if they veer off course, it is a national debate about every little thing that, that they're doing. But I think that's... Uh, a difficult area for them to parse is the kind of uh, the criticism that is valid, that is constructive criticism versus just the kind of anti AEW sentiment that there's a big uh, amount of it out there. I would say like a general theme has been its women's division, that this is something that uh, they they have not been able to kind of get their legs under them when it comes to that division and, and finding whether it's just, you know, coherent storylines, consistent storylines and and the characters. And some of that has been with the pandemic of who has not been available. But also, I mean, they have they, they have not to me grow in that part of their company, which is something that you can look at different companies, namely 
NXT and Impact Wrestling, where that's become a major calling card for them, is their women's division. And I think AEW is certainly trailing in, in that aspect when you compare it to the others. I agree. I think it's the women's division that seems to be the most glaring, um, most problematic place, uh, part of the company that keeps getting criticized. Um, trying to think what else. Maybe the fact that, you know, certain storylines, uh, I think people often criti- like bring up the fact that when AEW started, much of it was being built on its sports-like presentation. A, a constant criticism I see whenever they do something that is really not uh, fitting of a sports-like presentation, that often gets brought up as a point of um, contention from uh, maybe audiences that look for, you know, a presentation closer to, like, perhaps New Japan Pro Wrestling or, like, you know, what Ring of Honor is doing with their period title tournament. But uh, for as many people that I think, you know, don't like it, I, I'm actually surprised at the amount of people that happen to, to like some of the more off the wall things that AEW has been doing. Yeah, the uh, one of my sort of geek picks a couple weeks ago for our show was the uh, what was the, the steak dinner debonair. Mm-hmm. And from me, I don't know if you could have gotten away with that in any other company. Yeah, it's true. It's like what? Well, I mean, in 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 the in in the age of like cinematic matches, where we're like mat- seeing matches take place like in people's minds, um, it's it's you can probably get away with more now than you ever could before. Uh, even you know in a WWE, um, but certainly it it <laughs> wrestling in twenty twenty is really weird. Uh, who would have thought? Like you know, in the mainstream, we would kind of get something so off the wall, and in my opinion, so so accepted um but it's we're at the point now where i think people are ready for like something new yeah i would say like to way's point i mean you for people that hate that kind of like aspect to things like that that's totally fine i think where people kind of go too far is saying like this is going to be the death of aew and if anything it's kind of been uh, a lifeblood for them is kind of relying more so on a lot of their characters that are given this excessive leeway to go out there and succeed or fail. Like within seven days of that thing, we had a character brought back from the dead on impact. We had a dude shot in the ring. We had zombies attacking Cameron Grimes. It's like, to me, the bar for, you know, keeping things in this neat little box that is realism has exploded this year. So, and I'm not a fan of all of it. I, but I also look at things kind of from, the point of view of what resonates the most with its audience. And I would say like the MJF Jericho thing, while not everyone's cup of tea, I, I think like that was, that was not something that offended me in any way. So everyone's going to have th- their different parameters. And I think if you go back 35 years and you're watching like what was happening in Memphis in, in, a, in a lot of wild angles and, and such, like that probably wouldn't pass a smell test of a lot of people either. So that's where pro wrestling, it comes down to, you know, it's highly subjective, but we also have the ability to look at, you know, numbers and what, what attracts people and what turns people. And the smart people learn from that, uh, regardless of whether they're a fan of it or not. Now, with with AEW, we got a lot of smaller promotions starting to make a little bit of waves as well. NWA had a very good TV product for a period of time until controversies kind of took them out but mlw is a company that i've kind of championed a little bit on our podcast because they've put out some consistent matches and storylines as well how do you guys 
decide what you follow and what you don't? Or is it right now, is it you just kind of, AEW and WWE aside, obviously, are your main pillars, but is there a process in your head of considering what you guys actually take a, a closer look at? For me, um, it's mainly based on audience discussion. You know, I think it's it's pretty like if you're if you're following this online, if you're following like discussion um, on message boards or just even on podcasts, I think we have a pretty good idea of what gets talked about, what has the most interest um, in years past. It's been, uh, you know, WWE, of course, but then also uh, NXT, New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, impact really when when it was, I think, the number two. Uh, but, you know, as it, the importance and significance and relevance of, of promotions start to dwindle, like we stop talking about it, people stop talking about it. And therefore, there are other things that tend to replace it. And lately, it's been more so uh, AEW that's taken up much of that space, even, you know, more so over certainly over impact and ROH, but even a, a little bit over New Japan. So um, it just you just kind of read the room, really. Yeah, I think that's like I, I think, you know, Brent looking like at our, our schedule, I like they're. Like we're very judicious now of kind of what is like we're we're just so maxed out when it comes to shows. Like I, I could not justify doing an entire show just based off Ring of Honor every week. But it's mm. something that I mean, I follow a lot of these shows week to week. And that's where we kind of decipher of like which ones, um, you know, if there's something big that happens on an impact or an MLW, we're certainly going to discuss it. But yeah, it's very much based upon the listenership and, and as well, like we defer a lot to the website as well. What is like MLW is going to be covered every week on the site. Impact's going to be covered every week on the, on the site. Uh, so that, that's kind of where we, we balance things, but it's kind of looking at what is like, we only have a finite amount of, of time. So where is our time best utilized that the most amount of people are going to be interested in? Obviously raw SmackDown, AEW, those are going to be your pillars. And then you look into, you know, when a big show is coming up, like we'll, we'll spend a show talking about an impact pay-per-view, but it's kind of just looking at like, what is the audience craving most? And, and it's going to dis- discuss the most because it's impossible to cover everything at this point. Now, speaking of what your audience likes, uh, something that uh, caught me a little by surprise is when you guys started doing the Marvel movie reviews, which I I was happily and luckily enough to take a part in a few of them. What was the genesis of doing it that long term? I know I know part of it comes out from a small guffaw that John made on one episode, but what made you want to go and do the entire run? Like. Again, really, it was down, came down to audience demand. I mean, we we started just simply wanting to review. I think when we started our Patreon, um, we were looking to do things beyond perhaps just the scope of wrestling. Mainly, like I think for my own sanity, um, just because like you you know we can only watch so much wrestling, and you know talking about like relevance of promotions. I think even our audience at times is looking for things outside of you know just uh wrestling coverage especially like if they're they're they like us enough to be patrons i mean you would expect that they like us enough to not just want to hear us talk about one thing but maybe you know things outside of like our usual scope too so we started off i think you know uh reviewing like documentaries that maybe had some like i think we did a documentary about steroid usage that you know had some kind of loose ties to our world and then eventually that kind of like became a movie review, monthly movie review. So started off with Captain America, both Captain Americas, 
And then, like, we just saw the demand from people who wanted us to review all the Marvel films. And so we did that. Like, and that's the, the, I guess, the nice thing about Patreon. You know, you get feedback from your audience. We're not really set to any sort of schedule. It changes all the time. So we just said, why not? So we did it from the from the first one, Iron Man, all the way till the end. So uh, the other question that I had is, I, way I know that you had pretty much seen all the movies as they had come out. John, you were a little bit hit and miss. Was there anything you discovered like that you personally liked in some of these films that you hadn't really noticed before on like a first viewing or wasn't expecting to like maybe? Mm, I, I would definitely say for, for some of them, like a, like a Doctor Strange, like there were some that I, I went into where I, I certainly like like way had pr- pretty much seen, I would say, almost all of them if not everyone that we had watched. Whereas me, I I would watch these films, you know, the ones that piqued my interest, which not all of them did. So like a Doctor Strange is a film I was never going to watch on my own unless we had to do it for this. And I went into it kind of just uh, open-minded about it and really enjoyed that because it's not kind of a subject matter that's really uh, up my alley. But, uh, you know, that I guess that would be sort of like, just uh, kind of opening up my perspectives to some of the the lesser known characters that I'm going in pretty cold with. Um, so I, I kind of like that dynamic where Wei had certainly a much uh, greater understanding and following of all these different characters and where they interacted. And I was sort of just playing the uh, like the casual observer that is going in fairly cold to all of these films. So uh, I, I guess it was kind of an interesting process just in, in that sense of going into the ones where you know, my kind of preconceived notion was, well, this is a Marvel film that I would skip, but sitting down and especially once we got deeper into the films where you do get a lot of the crossovers and things are tying together. um, That was a fun part of it is that like once we got deeper uh, into the phases and you're you're starting to see uh, the payoff as it as it gets towards like the, the latter stages. Yeah, it was nice for for me, I think, just to, you know, be able to have these discussions with with my friend and um, getting to experience it maybe through his eyes, you know, as somebody who I think is is kind of deep and, uh, you know, maybe not as deep as you, Brent, but like somebody who follows kind of like the minutia of like, you know, rumors and just how uh, people, you know, the comic books and, and how things kind of came to be. I'm always curious to see how something like this hits with somebody who doesn't have all that baggage or expectations attached to him. Now you you taking a break from the the superhero films, and I, I honestly don't blame you after the stretch that you guys went through reviewing them, and switch to Rocky. Is there a particular reason why Rocky was the the film series you went with, or it just sort of came up and made for good discussion? I I was thinking about just like you know other movie franchises because I think the movie the Marvels ones were were relatively you know I think successful gave us like a way to kind of build on sort of a prog- progression of uh, movie analysis that we you know quite enjoyed like build like talking about how one film followed the other um, and Rocky of course like covering our sport that we do in professional wrestling like Rocky is like the quintessential combat sports film franchise um that everybody at least knows i mean most you know almost everybody has seen but i i also don't know if people have seen it 
all that recently. So I think I just I, I was looking forward to talking about it uh, with John and, you know, giving kind of our similar type of pro wrestling analysis, but with the like, you know, uh, much more dramatized uh, versions of, of these films. It was either going to be Rocky or the American Pie franchise. So th- those were what it came down to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'd almost be curious to hear what, especially when you get into the the later American Pies, like American Pie goes to band camp in those films. How... Well, those would be fresh for everybody because nobody watched after the third one. I am uh, under the impression. I, I think you're right on that one. Uh, just before I let you guys go, uh, I'm kind of curious because of the amount of wrestling you guys have to watch. What's kind of your decompression shows at the moment? Is it or or maybe it's an activity or something? Is there something you do to, like completely outside of wrestling that you watch that you enjoy? I mean, this year I. I... I read quite a lot, so that's kind of been my my outlet this year. In terms of shows, um, I've been following like a few this year. I really enjoy that new series that's on uh, Crave in Canada, Showtime in the U.S., uh, the Comedy Store documentary series that's on. So I've been watching that. I found that to be a really enjoyable series that I'm following. And a very strange... uh, show that me and my wife have just like fallen back to watching is we've like gotten into the survivor shows because I was at my parents like a month or so ago and they had the first season on DVD and I had just read like a book where it was talking about like the, the television landscape. It was one of uh, Bill Carter's books. And I was kind of curious to just go back and like watch survivor from 20 years ago. And then I ended up buying the second season and that's what we're currently uh, watching right now is survivor from 19 years ago. So that's uh that those are my decompression shows, I guess. Uh, my fiance and I, like when I'm not forcing her to, you know, sit through Monday night raw with me or, or, uh, you know, the other, uh, hours and hours of wrestling when we do have some downtown time. I mean, we subscribe to pretty much like all the subscri- subscription networks. So, uh, of course, you know, um, the boys is, is a show that we, we both love a lot. We just finished the second season. It was tremendous. Um, what I can also recommend for people who are fans of like hip hop or like, you know, um, the Wu Tang clan specifically is American saga, which is, uh, basically like if you, if for people who like straight out of Compton, it's basically like straight out Compton, but with the Wu-Tang Clan. So it kind of like uh, dramatizes, you know, um, the growing up of the RZA. And it's got, you know, I would say if perhaps exaggerated versions of like their real life. And it, it entails a lot of like crime and uh, trying to get Staten Island. And, uh, you know, you see all the members like eventually come in through this several seasons long uh, series that just wrapped up its first season. So season two is on the way. So that would be my recommendation. Thanks a lot for joining me guys. Uh, Where can our listeners find you if they're, uh, they're more interested in pro wrestling after this discussion, or maybe just want to check your podcast out. Uh, Well, congratulations, Brent on episode 100. Uh, That's, that's a a very lofty uh, milestone to hit. So congratulations to all of you. Uh, You guys can go check out uh, more of our stuff at, postwrestling.com and if you want to send us any uh, film recommendations or shows to check out at way 0937 (laughs) (laughs) 
And all uh, hate mail you can send to me at I am John Paul. I'll respond. These things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's Rewind Around for Monday night. Download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's Rewind Around. And that was uh, my conversation with uh, John Pollock and Wei Ting from Post Wrestling. Uh, they, they like everybody else on who we've had on the show, have been pretty supportive of us over the years and very nice to us. Um, and uh, they're they're good dudes. They, they they've uh, they've uh, roughed out uh, some some stormy weathers here and there and come over on through the other side, but. Uh, and and you know gave me an excuse to talk wrestling a little bit too <laughs> <laughs> the uh i should also uh point out a uh, a good congratulations also goes out to mr john pollock who also had a baby girl the exact same day that gavin did wow no here's where it gets even stranger um they're both uh, well. No, I shouldn't say what I won't say what their names are uh, out mm-hmm. of privacy. But you can but, say they uh, both have the same name. They both daughters have the same name. That's amazing. Like the same first name. <laughs> I I have told Gavin that I will tell John not to move into his neighborhood, so they don't have issues when both of those kids eventually go to school. Because <laughs> could you imagine how many like just headaches that's going to cause with two children with the same <laughs> first name and the same birth date? <laughs> yeah, but they got different last names, so they'll figure it out. Yeah, sure. Yeah, they live on opposite sides of the city right now. So, <laughs> um, and uh, to that end, that brings us to the end of part two of episode one hundred. Uh, I just want to, before we get into my final question for the uh, the panel, uh, I just want to thank everybody who has listened to the show up until this point. It's uh, been a lot, for the most part, it's been a lot of fun to put together. I hope you're still enjoying it 100 episodes in. If not, why are you torturing yourself? <laughs> <laughs> you should yes. seek help, like, now. Um, Thank you and, all very and, much for listening. And remember that you can always get in touch with us on Facebook or email or, you know, lots of different ways. So let us know what you think about the show and if you like it and what you like and what you dislike. Yeah. And and thank you to everybody who has helped out or been a guest and contributed over the years from Gavin and uh, Nate Milton and especially like Ed, who comes on whenever we need a guest host to, to pop in. You know, it's it, making the show has been a lot of fun and especially getting to do things with it. So hopefully, you know, we've we've got another hundred episodes in us. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> well, it's the the hundred episode mark is weirdly it's it's a pretty substantial mark because a lot of podcasts will what's the term pod fade pod fade yeah and they just sort of disappear and don't come back or come back sporadically and we've well, never had to do that so far and you know it's been a lot of fun plus when you think we release bi weekly that means we've been at this for four years. Uh, as of uh, what January February of yeah. next year, Yeesh. exactly. Yeah. Oh, well, technically, we started recording like around October, though. I like, think we recorded so. quite a bit before we started releasing episodes. Um. But anyways, so my last thing isn't a true geek pick per se, but it is in the theme of geek pick, and I thought it was appropriate for this episode, and it gets kind of 
raw answers from all of you. <laughs> and I'll, I'll go around to each of you. But the question is, is what is a geek or nerdy thing that you hope occurs in the next three years? Oh, so it, it can be from toys to <laughs> movies to shows. I, I'm guessing Jen already has an answer because she's giggling. <laughs> well, hmm. my gut reaction would be Squirrel Girl movie uh, <laughs> or Squirrel Girl TV show, more Squirrel Girl toys, uh, and another comic run of Squirrel Girl. <laughs> that would you be got, my, You got I more out like... of Squirrel Girl than I kind of thought you would with, <laughs> with the starting. You've gotten uh, those cartoons. She was also appearing in the Spider-Man yeah. cartoon. You got a yep. Marvel Legends figure with a vehicle. Yep. And extra squirrels. And, extra and I have squirrels. a Funko Pop and I have some, I have like Barbie size, well not size, but like Barbie dolls from the Marvel Rising. They have, mm -hmm. they made dolls of her. So no, I'm super happy with what I have. I just want more. <laughs> <laughs> or and that same thing, only Sailor Moon. <laughs> more Sailor Moon. Fair enough. Ryan. <laughs> Oh geez, that's a tough question. But if I have to, it could pick be something big or small. So don't. Oh yeah, so I'm I'm going big. I want I want a Haslab. I got, I've already brought this up on the show before. It's the next Haslab project, mm -hmm. full size lights and sounds, proton pack with wand for Ghostbusters. Ooh, do it as a Haslab. They'll you know it'll sell. You don't have to worry about doing the mass version, or if you don't get enough money, enough enough backers, it doesn't happen. But you know, get, we, we all, you know, well, the three of us, you know, you Ed, and I, my brother Drew has one. We've all got the uh, the Spirit of Halloween one, which is about you know it's a three quarter scale, really, which is nice. But uh, the light and sound part of it just uh, could really use some improving. Yeah, and I don't, I can't do that, so I'd rather just. Buy a full size one that Hasbro will make for me. <laughs> I'm in the same boat. I, I get it. And uh, yeah, like, I'm just I'm hoping that this Ghostbuster movie is going to be good and that we'll continue to get stuff from that franchise. Mm. Kevin, I want all four of us to be able to go to Galaxy's Edge together. Aww. Aww. I can't wait to see your faces when you walk in for the first time and see the actual Millennium Falcon sitting there. Four I... of us walk in, only three of you leave. Yeah. Because so I'm I'm in like we were joking about Kevin, I'm going to just start living in there. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to steal a set of Jawa robes and just roam. I'll hide inside a droid. Yeah. So, uh, you know, aside from that, I hope that. Um, I hope that Star Wars on Disney Plus continues to be as good as it is. You know, we haven't officially really announced anything past Mandalorian, but uh, well, except for the um, with the new animated series, has Obi Wan been officially announced? I, I'm not sure about that, but I want yeah, more. It's, a, it's been announced. They just don't have a release date or yeah. filming schedule. I want I want more of that kind of thing th to work. You know, I think. Um, I think there might be a little, there might have been a little bit of Star Wars burnout after Rise of Skywalker, uh, 
but Mandalorian has proven that they can do new things with the franchise and fans will hop on board if it is good. So I'd like to see more, just like Star Trek is doing various shows from various corners of the Star Trek universe. I want Disney plus to do various Star Wars shows from various corners of the Star Wars universe. So, um, yeah, I think I think that's good. And I want Netflix to lower their price because right now I I don't can't see myself continuing to subscribe to that service. Mm. Yeah, moment. I was thinking the same thing. All right, and finally, Ed, anything you would like to see in terms of nerddom in the the next couple of years? Well, the one thing I've been sitting here thinking with everyone else's picks I want to see Henry Cavill play Superman one more time. Me yes. Agreed. Like, I know that, I know that there's all the stuff that they say that he could be in Shazam, too, and he could be in a bunch of other projects. But what I want is Man of Steel, too. Um, for Man of Steel, with like, when it came out in thir- 2013, I didn't really enjoy the movie that much, but it's grown on me. Every time I watch it, it develops it gets bigger there's there's more to it you know same like same like batman versus superman or justice league every time i watch it i see something else i see something different um i compare that to some of the marvel movies and i'll get burned out on those pretty quick like you know watch them once watch them twice and then that's it something like justice league i've watched that movie 15 20 times um, when i'm <laughs> When I'm on the road, I actually have it on my laptop. I have it on my tablet that I can put the movie on and I'll have it as background noise. Mm. So, Didn't uh, you watch Superman versus Batman like three or four times in a row one day? Uh, well, when I was working on Nightmare Batman, I watched the extended cut of Batman versus Supertime. Uh, <laughs> Batman versus <laughs> Supertime? Mm, good Those movie. You're starting to get to Ed. Jeez. <laughs> Um, no, I watched it three times in a row. Wow. But I, just the whole nightmare scene I loved. So I just kept watching it. Um, the other thing I've been really into lately, especially during the pandemic has been vintage video games on Fridays. Mm. Uh, so we've, we've been playing old, old video games. And recently here we've been doing tournaments. So we we have brackets set up to see who can be the ultimate champion. Um, what I would like to see is some more of those flashback machines come out. Like we picked up the NES Classic. I haven't got the SNES Classic, but I picked up a Retron Three, so I have the NES slots on it. Yeah, uh, I was a I was a uh, we had ColecoVision when I was a kid. Um, I have one of the flashback ColecoVisions, but it's just not quite the same. So I'd love it if they came out with, say, a, a Coleco flashback machine that you could use the original cartridges. Because I would be all in on that. Um, probably the other thing, like looking at the toy line, I just want more for the G.I. Joe classified series. Oh, I think we're getting that. You want the six-inch scale... Aircraft carrier. <laughs> well, oh, Jesus. <laughs> what I would like is a little bit more availability on the figures, especially. Yeah. It's been, you know, dealing with scalpers and all that kind of stuff. Like, like we've been 
we've been pretty lucky that the only figure we haven't been able to get was the Amazon exclusive Storm Shadow. Oh, don't get me started with that one, but yeah. But uh, no, I just hope more for any, even the, um, the the retro series, the three and three quarter, where they re-released the GI Joe twenty fifth anniversary figures with new head sculpts. Um, I've picked all them up, and and I kind of have. I kind of hope for more six inch and three and three quarter stuff for GI Joe. So, and who knows, maybe they'll, maybe they'll do a real retro retro series and come out with some re molds of the original O-ring figures. So oh, maybe. So Hasbro likes money. If they think there's money involved, they will definitely do it. Well, comparing that to 2013 when I was, Actually, the first day I ever did cosplay, I was dressed up as Thor, stopped at the Hasbro booth, and I asked the guy who worked for Hasbro, you know, do you have any new G.I. Joe product? And he looked at me and he said, G.I. Joe's a dead property. Oh, and when you compare that to now, where they come out with the figures and they can't even keep them on the shelf. Mm. So... Bet you that guy doesn't work there anymore. Oh, I bet you didn't work there that afternoon. But no. <laughs> I think that guy was one of those people that you know, works the booth because it was also it was the Hasbro slash Toys R Us booth. Oh, he so. might not have actually been a Hasbro employee. Yeah. Yeah. But I do remember <laughs> your reaction when he said that because you rolled up the sleeves and started showing off the tats. <laughs> and then he, and then he tells me, he says, "Well, how are you proud of the brand? You've got them covered up." And I can't remember if I said two and a half feet of counter isn't enough to keep me from grabbing you. Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure you did. <laughs> well, my hope is that we continue to do the show, and uh, and uh, I, I'm I'm just like hoping maybe we uh, find a sponsor. Mm. Yeah, that wouldn't be bad either. And, oh, and my other hope is that we finally get to finish our Dungeons and Dragons game that we started with almost with a year Super ago. Kid almost <laughs> a year ago. Yeah. yeah, I still have the audio. I haven't dumped it or anything. Awesome. Although at this point we might have to restart it. But I don't remember what happened. Yeah. <laughs> we fought some bandits. Fun, Anyways, that is it for episode 100. We move forward with episode 101 in two weeks. And in between then, obviously, there will be an episode of Sailor Snacking. Uh, we will go around the, the table and, uh, you know, for those who have stuff to promote, we'll start with uh, our guest of honor, Ed. Ed, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Vero, Pinterest, Tumblr. Um, you can see me on the street just dressed up as a cosplay character begging for money. But, <laughs> no, I haven't got to that yet. Uh, but basically, Instagram and Facebook I'm the most active on, so you can find me there on Snow- as Snowhawk Cosplay. Um, actually, the other thing that you can check out that I'm kind of excited for is uh, I've been working with Barry Public Library on a few more projects. So if you check out the Barry Public Library website, you can find uh, some reading champions I've done. Um, so far, there's three that I've recorded. Um, Batman Reads, 
a story about Superman. Superman reads a story about Batman. And Thor reads about Mjolnir. So yeah. uh, those have been a lot of fun. Uh, working on a couple more with the library and uh, uh, working with Liz. Um, so, Lots of times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Liz and I, we've been working on a lot of new content for the library. So swing by the Barry, Libra- Barry Pope Library website and catch out, catch some of that stuff. Uh, I'm really, really happy with the Batman and the Thor. Um, I've watched the Batman one a bunch of times, and I still laugh every single time. Because um, that was done in conjunction with the Barry Public Library Comic Con. But um, it's gone over well, so we're recording more content. So there's going to be more to show up as far as awesome. reading champions goes. So, no, really happy that way. And also working on a new project on my Instagram, hopefully doing a bi-weekly live broadcast on my Instagram Ooh. story with uh, Allie Cosplay. So oh. Allison and I, we did our pilot last week. And uh, as I, my tagline was, it's a podcast you can see. And we end up going an hour and 45 minutes on there. So our goal <laughs> is to go do that on Instagram. Yep. Yep, live broadcast on your Instagram story. So we are in talks of, we had a lot of people, we had 64 people tune in during our broadcast. Hey, that's pretty good. So our goal is to maybe once every three weeks or once every two weeks, go ahead and have a bit of a structure and, you know, just it's us FaceTiming, talking to each other and people can just chime in. The thing I like about it, because it is like a podcast, but you also get the, the live feedback. People can ask questions, and you can interact with the, the the fan base right then and there. So nice. That's something I'm trying to build on for 2021. Cool. Uh, Jen, what else do you got going on besides this? Uh, sailor snacking, of course. Um, so yeah, keep listening to that. You, if you're listening to this podcast, then I'm sure that you've seen sailor snacking pop up in your feed. So. Uh, it's a podcast where uh, Tracy and I talk uh, every podcast episode. We talk about two episodes of the classic uh, 1990 Sailor Moon anime with a friend. And uh, in between our discussions of the episodes, we have a snack. And it's usually something that neither of us have ever tried before or almost always something I've never tried before. And uh, we have fun guests on like we've had Kevin and Ryan uh, Liz has been on a bunch of times. Uh, my best friend Karina has been on a bunch of times. Uh, Serena, who's been on the podcast before, has been on. And um, even Brent. <laughs> yep, even me. Even Brent. I made Brent eat corn ice cream. That mm. I don't think that episode's come out yet. It actually it has wasn't not. bad. <laughs> I can't and it wasn't that. bad. <laughs> it's ice cream, but it tastes like corn. No, it's it ice cream, but it has corn in it. In it. Ew. <laughs> Uh, okay, yeah. and cool. Kevin. I have so many things going on right now. Okay. Uh, so, um... Boil it is, down. Okay, <laughs> let's let's start with the, uh, with the most fun one right now, which is if you are, if you are at home and want your little ones to have a visit from Santa, you can do it online now with me at SimcoSanta.com. You can sign up for a virtual visit with Santa 
And uh, if you pick the right date, you will you will get me uh, doing my best ho ho hoing. Uh, so that's fun. Uh, you've also got um, Galaxy Class, the Star Trek: The Next Generation podcast, and Stage Whispers, the local theater podcast, which I am working on as well. And you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. And I just started using Instagram again. So woohoo! Yay! Fast enough for you? Yes. Excellent. <laughs> Good job. And you can find me uh, doing this show <laughs> as well as uh, I made a recent appearance on the Kings of Sports uh, chain reaction with our friend Nate Milton. We covered uh, Survivor Series. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, beyond that, I'm still doing the radio show The Dark Side for 89.1 Max FM out of Aurelia. Just go to 89.1's website every Thursday night at 9 p.m. My show goes on, and it's a lot of goth and industrial and weird stuff. So uh, that's it for episode 100. What, what about what about me? Do you, you have another show I've going got... yet? Maybe I'm working on something top secret. Well, you'll have you to have, look forward to, to it in the new year. Ooh. <laughs> Teaser. A tease. I didn't want to bring it up just in case. Well, you it might have... not even be what you think. Maybe oh, I'm teasing okay. something else. I don't know. Maybe I just want to tease people. Is it maybe your he's only just fan making it all up. Maybe, maybe I just wanted to talk. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I felt left Lord out Lord of this conversation. <laughs> you can you can find me on Ed's Instagram because I take a lot of his pictures. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you can true. find me on our Facebook page because I tend to post a lot of the news stuff. Yes. Okay, I'm done. Let's wrap this up. <laughs> That's it for episode 100. Come back in two weeks for episode 101. It's going to be Christmas themed. Until then. (laughs) You said Christmas. That's what I do. You do hoes? (laughs) Only three in a row. Thank you for listening to the True North Nerds. You can find us at truenorthnerds.com or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at truenorthnerds. To contact one or any of the nerds, you can email them at truenorthnerds at gmail.com. Theme music provided by Kirby Crackle. You can find more of their music at kirbycracklemusic.com. If you like this show, please go to your podcast app of choice and rate and review us.